Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, welcome to another episode of Matt and Judd's Hockey Adventure. And Judd, the adventure is getting hot here as we get ready for the playoffs. And I know you have a full notebook, but I want to throw something at you right away, right off the top here. Yes, Matt. Connor McDavid deserves the Hart Trophy, even though his team is not in the playoffs. I will hear nothing else. He deserves to win the Hart Trophy because he is the best player in the National Hockey League. And I do not want to get into a situation like with LeBron James where it's like, ah, let's find an excuse not to give it to him every year because he didn't make the playoffs. He's been the best player in the NHL this year. Give him the trophy for being the best player. I'm going to give you the same thing that they're talking about in the NBA right now, and it has to happen, and it should happen very, very soon. We need two awards. We need an we need a mop and a mumbo MVP. Oh my gosh! We need no. Two we awards. don't. This is this should be we simple. Need, this should be most, easy. Connor McDavid. Connor McDavid is a generationally great player, but he might be the most outstanding player. But he's not the most valuable because he's on a team that's not going to make the playoffs. I want the most valuable player to be on a to be on a team that's going to make the playoffs. But that doesn't mean that he shouldn't be recognized for his greatness, which which would make him the mop the mop. Most outstanding player. I have no idea what his value has to do with other guys who are out there for the other 40 minutes of the game. With basketball, this is different. You can play 40 out of 48 minutes in basketball, and if your team misses the playoffs, you can't be the most valuable. Kind of like a quarterback, right? I mean, if your team misses the playoffs, it's a lot on the quarterback because you hold the keys to winning. With hockey, he doesn't play goalie. He doesn't play third-line wing. He can only do what he does on the ice, and he has completely blown away everyone else. I mean, if you're making an argument that he's similar to other players based on just the point total, which he's ahead of everyone in, uh, I think you're not even looking deep enough to how much he is completely dominated this year because all you see is the win-loss record based on a team that has injuries on defense, terrible goaltending, and horrendous depth because their general manager is a doofus. Greg Wyshynski, who, by the way, is your colleague at ESPN.com, which you do a lot of stuff for, National Hockey League-related, writes why Connor McDavid should not win the Hart Trophy. On ESPN.com right now, and goes through the reasons why he should not win the Hart Trophy. I think he's the most outstanding player. Uh, but I and I have a problem with this in baseball too, in in lots of sports. But the MVP, one that won in all sports, there's no definition for it. There's like, a, here's your ballot, make it up. I want two awards. I want a most valuable player, 
which is going to go to to someone who is valuable on a playoff team, and a most outstanding, which can go to whoever the hell you want it to go to. That's what I think would clear things up. But instead, and I know leagues love this because it creates a dialogue like this. It creates debates, which is great. But really, I think you can make it, everyone can make things much easier on, on themselves, not just hockey. There's not just a hockey problem. God knows hockey's got its own problems. But if you went to having two awards, Connor McDavid is fantastic. But right now, this is be, his games have become all about him just trying to get points, which is fine because the, the Oilers are done. But it's basically become the Connor McDavid show to showcase Connor McDavid because his team is hopeless. And you're right. It's hopeless for a variety of reasons, including a GM who, if he's not fired, they should contract the damn franchise. And I say that knowing that they're in a new arena. Okay, if you're saying that they've somehow sacrificed themselves winning to get McDavid points, I mean, that's craziness. No, no, no. I'm saying that that the entire focus can be on, on him being outstanding and getting points because it's so hopeless there. Like, they're, they're not playing for anything, and they haven't been for months now. Yeah, there's, I mean, I no just per- I don't see no what difference there. that makes. I mean, they, they he's are... The, he's the most outstanding player, but I think as far as MVP goes, there's that award should be targeted to somebody who makes a difference on a playoff team. But it's not I like... I awards. It's not like these are garbage time points or something. I mean, he's... I mean, no hockey games are seven to one anymore, and you're getting garbage time goals. I mean, they're playing all close games, and he's carrying the team on his back entirely to even be in games. And it's his fault that the goalie didn't play well. That drives me crazy. Let me just throw this: if it was close, if it was, if it was tie goes to the guy who has the playoff team, I'd be okay with it. It's not really close. If you look at the even strength production, which I think is the most valuable production that you get and, and really a better indicator of who's playing the best, Connor McDavid isn't just ahead of the next best guy. He is 15, 13 points ahead of the next best guy. So he has 69 even strength points. Nikita Kucherov has 56, and he's the next best. He's got the most even strength goals. He's got the most even strength assists. He's dominating the puck possession. He's dominating the scoring chances. I mean, he's just murdering everybody else, and yet he's going to get ignored because of Cam Cam Talbot. He's going to get ignored because of Cam Talbot. I don't think he's going to get ignored. I don't think he's going to to win MVP, but I, I think he's definitely going to get plenty of votes for it. I don't think he'll be ignored. And by the way, if he is ignored... In our fine country, it's because he's never on TV unless you get the NHL package, which is, which you know what? That's a problem. That's a problem is that a generationally great player playing in Edmonton is basically we hear about him, but we don't see him because our network's date it only, only necessary to carry Red Wings Bruins coming up on Sunday. That's, there's my bitcher complaint. Okay. I mean, I, I could go on he, about this. He's all a great. Day. He's a great player. My point is, I think more leagues, not just hockey, should have two awards, an MVP and an MOP. The most outstanding player in college is a far better worded award because it creates definition. MVP to me is a very, it's it, it's what you want to define it as. Most outstanding player to me is much easier to define, and I think if you had both awards, it would make life easier. But as I said, I think these leagues love the debates and and therefore they almost don't want to clear things up. Um, by the way, just another stat. The, it is a great um, player. Connor McDavid, on the ice at five-on-five, five, so taking power play out of it, 
his team scores two more goals per 60 minutes when he's on the ice. 1.9 more goals. The next best guy is Leon Dreisaitl, who plays with him. But the next best guy, oh, that's just for the Oilers. But uh, Okay, so I thought I was looking at the whole league, just looking at the Oilers. But the uh, Oilers' goals for percentage goes up by 17% with him on the ice. I just can't imagine that there's someone who is more valuable to their team. Even, I mean, outstanding, valuable, whichever way you want to put it. Where, where would the team be if he wasn't on it? Like, wouldn't they be Seattle? by far the worst team ever if, if he wasn't I, on it, right? Yeah. No, it's sad. It's sad. Here, here. To me, the bottom line is this. You've got to fire the GM got <laughs> yes, to get yes. things right. No, but, That's definitely but, I, a bottom line. No, I it agree. Is, it, is, it is awful for hockey that Connor McDavid is not going to be playing the spring. I agree. I agree I, I entirely. Mean, it, it, if you if you are Gary Bettman, thank God you're not. And if you had a clue, which he doesn't, you would sit there and say, "We can't have this. We can't have Connor McDavid not playing in the playoffs." It is after what we saw uh, as far as the Oilers taking a step last season, which they definitely did. Connor McDavid needs to be featured in the playoffs, not sitting at home on a garbage team. And it's a garbage team because of the way the GM and coaching staff. GM especially, though, have handled things. Okay, let me just get my stat right. So when he's on the ice, they score 1.9 more goals per 60 minutes than when he's off the ice. So it's basically like if you're a team that scores two goals a game, you'd be a team that scored four goals a game if he played for 60 minutes. The only one who raises his team's play more is Mark Stone of Ottawa, and his team is even worse than oh, uh, Connor McDavid's. Um, okay. Oh, they're awful. So that's so that's my thing. I think just give the guy who is the Hart Trophy winner from last year and the best player in the league, give him the award again. Now, I, I will turn it over to you, Judd, and you can tell me what is in your notebook because I am told it is very full of hockey notes. I have, uh, let's see here, Matthew. I'm going through my notes right now. I have four pages of notes, so let me go to what would amount to. <laughs> well, I'm not kidding you. Uh, oh, I know you. Let me go to what would um, uh, what would be page three or four, which is notes off of last night's game, uh, the Wilds five two win o- over Dallas. I'll start with I'll start with the the concern, and then I'm going to go to two players who had fantastic games last night, and if they can play like they did last night in the playoffs, especially in the first round, probably against the Jets, it's going to give the Wild a chance to win a first round series. Uh, the concern last night that got overshadowed by the Wilds 5-2 win against the Stars. And Dallas is a Dallas is a scuffling team that, that I thought when the season started might make the playoffs. They have basically no chance now. And they are pretty much, besides their top line, which is great, they are pretty much a mess. Um, the opening 12 minutes of last night's game at the X are unacceptable. And I'm not talking about from Dallas' standpoint. I'm talking about from the Wilds' standpoint. If you play like that in the playoffs to open games, because it wasn't just that the Wild got off to a slow start, they basically didn't show up for that amount of time. You will lose playoff games. That will lose you playoff games. So if they play like they did at the start of last night's game, or and it was really probably the majority of the first period against the Jets or a playoff team, it could cost them games. So so let's keep in mind that the Wild needs to show up if Face-off time, which I believe officially I was informed last night after I tweeted something, was 7.08 p.m. You need to start playing at 7.08 p.m., not 7.36 p.m., okay? 
Um, th- all of that being said, though, and this is going to go to a conversation that, that we agree on and have for quite some time, and this guy can drive you crazy, but last night he was brilliant. Matthew Dumble. Power play goal l- last night, which, get this, was his first power play goal of the season. Uh, he's got a career-high 12 now, so he's definitely scored goals this year, but he had six power play goals each of the past two years. He did not have one until last night. Uh, he had three assists, and his four-point game set a single-game franchise record for a wild defenseman, and he had three block shots. Matthew Dumba is prone to making bad decisions in his own zone and, and at times turning the puck over. But you sent me the stat this morning, and I think we brought this up on a podcast or two ago, but when people say, get rid of Matt Dumba, I trade him for a box of pucks, right? <laughs> Matt, Matthew Dumba, the stat that you, that you uh, sent me and is – definitely was true last night in his success, has been on the ice for 70 even-strength goals for the Wild this season. The only player ahead of him in that category is the guy that we talked about, Connor McDavid, who has been on the ice for 79 even-strength goals, which leads the National Hockey League. If Matt, if Matt, if the Matthew Dumba that we saw against the Dallas Stars on Thursday night can even come close to showing up on a consistent basis in the playoffs, and let's say Spurgeon comes back, so now you've got Suter playing pretty well. You've got Spurgeon back and Dumba playing like he did last night or something close collar. This is why you look at Matthew Dumba and say, not only am I not going to trade him for a box of pucks, I'm not going to trade him. You would basically have to blow me away because the cautionary tale of your Chuck Fletcher and the Wild is a guy who's been playing uh, for the San Jose Sharks for years now. His name is Brent Burns. He also struggled at times early in, in his career, but guess what? Turned into an unbelievable offensive defenseman, and they are hard to find. So I think our case, to a large degree, is being made that even though he might be prone to dumb decisions at times, and they might drive you crazy, and they might even cost you goals, and they might cost you a game, this is why you hang on to Matthew Dumb. So a couple of numbers for you here that go beyond that. Yes, he does. He has been on the ice for more goals for his team than any other player outside of Connor McDavid in the entire league. But also, now what you, you would hear in response for the anti-Dumba people would be, well, yeah, but how many bad goals against? Well, we keep that stat. 51 goals against, meaning that the Wild have outscored their opponents by 19 goals with Matt Dumba on the ice. How does that compare to some other of the best players in the league? Well, Drew Doughty has been on the ice for 69 goals for 57 against, so 12 more. Yep. And six more goals against, and he's got a pretty good goalie in, in Los Angeles. How about, oh, I don't know, Victor Hedman. So Victor Hedman's been on the ice for... Five fewer goals, but also uh, goals against, but also four fewer goals for. My point just being that if you look at the percentage of goals that are going Minnesota's way with Matt Dumba on the ice, he is one of the absolute best in the NHL at outscoring opponents. And if you look at the scoring chances, the high danger shots, how many goals are getting scored close to the net, Dumba is toward the top of the league or is in good shape in every one of these categories. So basically what you have is a lot of people decided early on in his career when he was very young playing in the NHL that Matt Dumba was a turnover machine and he was a stupid player and you just couldn't have him because he was going to make too many mistakes. And those mistakes have been reduced by a lot 
this season especially. I would say last year too, and he's still producing offensively. It's not just points. It's not just the best way to look because you have breakout passes too that maybe go to somebody else and turn into a goal, but you don't get an assist. That's why I like to look at how many goals they're on the ice for their team to get a better indication. And, and, the, sure. and the leaders for on-the-ice goals are just like an all-star team. Hedman, P.K. Subban, Dougie Hamilton, you know Seth Jones, all the best defensemen. And he's number one in this category. Now, Judd, what, mm-hmm. what this is going to mean long-term is you're going to have to pay this man quite a bit of money, I think. Yes, and... He's an RFA. Yep, and and I, the thing with, with him, though, Collar, is I keep going back to Burns, right? I mean, you, Burns drove you crazy. And so you said on, on the night of the draft that was here, you made a deal with the Sharks, and you got Setaguchi, who, unfortunately for him, had a substance abuse problem and is now out of the league. I think he's got his life turned around, or I, I hope he does. Uh, but he's gone. You got Charlie Coyle, who you thought was possibly going to be a star, right? And Charlie Coyle now drives you crazy because when Charlie Coyle shows up to play and plays hard, he's very good, but he doesn't do that nearly enough. And then you also got a first-round pick, and I believe you turned that into a player named Zach Phillips, who unfortunately couldn't do one thing well, but that was skate, which is an important thing in hockey. Um, So you are going to have to pay Dumba, but I think you have to acknowledge the fact that he's, he's worth it. I mean, he's... Would you like him? Would you like to see him cut down on the dumb passes at times and the lackadaisical play at times? You absolutely would. But he's also a player who, if if you had to ballpark it right now, Matthew, how many players would you say in this league have the offensive ability that he has? Because it's not a ton. I mean, they are really hard to find. So paying him is going to be difficult. But I think you're going to have to find a way to get creative to try and keep him and pay him. And I also think this, Judd, that uh, some player in every NHL city who is an offensive defenseman, the fan base thinks they don't play defense. Every single city. That it, it becomes like a biased thing where those mistakes stick out to you, and if you watch every single game, you're going to yep. notice every single mistake, and what you don't realize because you're only watching Minnesota Wild games every night is that other defensemen also do make mistakes. That sometimes Victor Hedman turns the puck over. Sometimes Drew Doughty, P.K. Subban. I mean, Subban is not in Montreal anymore because they didn't like that he was too aggressive and turned the puck over. They are also very dumb for trading him to the (laughs) Nashville Predators. And and I will say this, too, that Subban and Dumba have something in common that I think goes along with questioning a player's intelligence, and that's some racial bias, too, that I think exists with these players. I'm not saying that I don't see some of the same things, but I see this year far reduced from from where it was in the past. And I think anytime some player in the NHL is black or is Russian, what you always get is, ah, well, you know, the Russian guy doesn't care. The Euro guy doesn't care. The black mm-hmm. guy isn't smart. Or P.K. Subban needs to stop dancing before a game when they're warming up or gets called a clown on the NBC broadcast, which I'm shocked that that broadcaster still has a job after that. You know, I, I think Mike that... Mike Milbury's Teflon, dude. I think that that exists, and I think it well, exists maybe with, Drew, uh, or with uh, Matt Dumba because the actual cold, hard facts are that this effect of him making all these mistakes is not actually showing up on the scoreboard. 
Yeah, and and I think if you're Chuck Fletcher, the only thing that you need to go back to is Burns. I really do because I mean Burns. Burns was Burns did the same goofy stuff, and Burns was sort of a goofy guy. And you finally got tired of that. And hockey, listen, hockey people don't like guys that are seen as being aloof at times, certainly. Yep, yep. And they don't, and they don't like guys who are seen as being goofy. Like they don't like characters. They claim they do, and, and hockey's full of them at times. I get all that, but you know what do hockey people always talk about? He's good in the room, and he does this, and he's serious. You know, jo- Jonathan Taze, who's a great player, but you know, Jonathan Taze, Captain Serious. Hockey people love that. Yep. Um, but but really good offensive defensemen are damn hard to find. And you don't give up on them just because they struggle at times or because you perceive them to be aloof or goofy. Because if you do, you get back a package of players that includes a forward, a draft pick, and another guy. And, you know, four years, five years down the road, the defenseman you traded has gone on to become an outstanding player who might not always be defensively responsible to this day, but you've got a guy, in that case, who's out of the league. You've got a draft pick who didn't pan out, and you've got a guy that you thought was going to be fantastic, and his name is Charlie Coyle, and the fact is he's not fantastic. So I think the lesson's been learned, and and I just think what we saw, Matthew Dumba against Dallas, which we should get, which I would love to see more of, but those are the type of games that I don't think – you can afford to forfeit because they are hard to get. They're hard to come by. And that talent is a special talent. Yeah. Well, I, I think, see, in, in every one of your comments, there's always, well, he's got to do it a little more often or, well, he's got to cut down on the mistakes. I think if he's this for the rest of his career, he's one of the best defensemen in the NHL. I think well, this, the stats back, yeah. Yeah, yeah I you're think, right. Yeah, I think this year he has been one of the best defensemen in the NHL. And if he continues to play that way, that's uh, where he's going to rank. And And I would also say that, Finding stability of him playing with Brodeen has been important because Brodeen is that very solid type of guy who is always in the right position, and that's yep. exactly what Dumba needs. And, and this year they've played together a lot. So you've had that stability. And, he, and he, yes, he has played uh, certainly with Ryan Suter maybe more than he did in the past, and that might help him a little bit too because Suter is, right. is that kind of guy. And yep. they have actually built some chemistry up where I think that didn't exist early on. So, okay. Suit, anyway. Suit, suits, suits had two turnovers last night and Dumba covered for him. That's a step in the right direction. It is. All right. So I spent a lot of time on that because I've been thinking about it a lot. And just with the, the Matt Dumba complaints, I, I'm, yep. done, I'm done with them until these numbers change. So what, what's next in our notebook? Uh, towards the bottom of page three of Judd's Hockey notes from last night. Once again, I'm going to go to another guy. Dumba frustrates some of us when he makes mistakes, right? But Dumba is a player who who we either love or hate because he does something that we see. Here's a guy who disappears far too much, but when he is on, his talent is upper echelon. I mean top of the National Hockey League. I don't mean he's a nice player. I mean when he's on, he's a great player. And last night, he was a great player. Mikel Gramlin, come on down. Come on down and stay for a while and play like you did last night. Scored his first goal in 14 games last night. Short-handed goal. Uh, the, the Wilds, uh, let's see, who was it? Ryan Murphy had gone off four-minute high-sticking penalty. It's 1-0. The Wilds not playing well first period. 
Gramlin comes down the right wing side and rips a shot and scores. But that's not the goal that I, I want to talk about. He also had two assists last night, Collar. And the first one, I, I don't know if, if you saw it or not. The first one, he undressed a Dallas defenseman like you wouldn't believe. Yes. And, and gave Zach Parisi maybe, arguably, I guess you could say, the easiest goal of Zach's career. And that is what Granlund is capable of doing. This guy, who hadn't scored in 14 games, this guy, when he's on, and I want to say that we did a podcast, it might have been a month ago or a little bit more, when he was playing really well. It's When he's on, he's not just good, he's special. Zucker can score goals. And when he's on, it's great. He scores goals. That's fantastic. When he's not, he's just in a dry spell. But when Granlund emerges... Granlund is a special, special player. And, and in a playoff series, I get that Granlund's not a big player. I get he's going to get beat up by teams. But if he can stick it out and he can play like he should, he is a superstar player. And if Granlund and Dumba in the playoffs are on, I really think the Wild gives itself a very good chance to advance because Granlund's talent is off the charts. Yeah, well, I mean, he's a little bit of the player that I would say the criticism is fair for, where I think that the criticism of Dumba at one time was fair, but probably isn't now. But with with Granlund, he has found a spot under Bruce Boudreaux that really works for him, and especially when playing with Eric Stahl. There was one night where Granlund kept entering the offensive zone, and the opposing team, I forget who it was, they kept trying to get two guys to redirect him, and he just split them with the puck. Just, like, yeah. went right through them, very much like what Sidney Crosby does because his puck protection is just so fantastic. And even though his uh, shooting percentage went down this year, his shot rate has actually gone up quite a bit, which has kind of balanced that out. So he's continued to produce at a very similar rate for last year, and that was one of my concerns when that – the shot rate eventually dips, uh, or the shot percentage, you know, is he still going to be as good? And he has been because he's getting more shots. So I, th- I, th- I think this year has been basically him saying, I am that type of player. I am the 60-point player that I was last year. It wasn't a fluke. But when you go down to his career in the playoffs, he has seven goals in 34 games, 18 points. That's just not going to get it done. Last year, mm-hmm. two assists zero goals in five games and you're out of the playoffs in the first round one goal the year before i mean really since he was 21 years old and he had that amazing series what was it against colorado yes we scored the diving goal yeah i mean since then i mean that's 21 years old that's a long time ago now that's four years ago and correct if you don't repeat that in the playoffs it's going to be hard for me to buy into you being a legitimate superstar as opposed to just another guy I mean, just another very good player. I'm not saying that he's not good, but like, take for example someone like Philip Forsberg last year, who just hit the gas in the playoffs, and all of a sudden it was like, okay, you were a good regular season player and you were putting up points for Nashville. Now you're a superstar because you've done this under the brightest lights and on the biggest stage, and that's still yet to happen with Granlund. And if it does, then I could start buying into him as that level of a player. But until then, I think it does matter. I mean, small sample sizes are definitely a thing. Sometimes you see great players not perform in one playoff series or another. But when you've got, after this year, he'll have at least 38 playoff games. When you're approaching a half a season worth of playoff games, 
I should see it. Like, you know how Judd, like Rick Nash, never shows up in the playoffs, and every year it's, well, you know, this or that. But, I mean, you look at his whole career, and he just doesn't score in the postseason. There's got to be something there over a big enough sample size. And I think we'll start to see with Granlin whether that's the, it's been small sample or whether there is actually an issue there. Uh, last thing, let's let's praise. I'm going to praise. How about that? Okay. Okay. Eric Stahl, bravo. Forty yes, goals. Congrats. Four, Forty goals. Uh, he went nine nine seasons between forty goal years. The only previous player to do that in National Hockey League history was Gordie Howe. Man. Eric Stahl. When Eric Stahl signed, Matthew, I said. Well, he got traded to the Rangers. His statistics in Carolina had definitely dipped, and and he got to New York, and he was moved eventually because he slumped so much or didn't play well. He was moved from center to wing. Big deal. You signed him to a three-year contract. He signed for fairly cheap, but this is not going to work. It not only has worked. Fletcher looks like a genius. Boudreaux has gotten the most that you possibly can from this guy, and for him to become only the uh, second player in Wild franchise history next to Gabbert to score 40 goals. Bravo. It's been a great year. It's been a really nice first two years or fantastic first two years. Eric Stahl deserves a ton of credit uh, for stepping in and being a player who I who I thought was washed up, and he's become, I wouldn't say he's an ace top-line center, but he's a damn good one, and 40 goals is damn impressive. So bravo to him. I come in praise of Eric Stahl. I think uh, with Eric Stahl, he went from the worst head coach in the NHL to one of the top five coaches in the NHL, and it shows that in Carolina, Bill Peters, I would be absolutely blown away if he was allowed to keep his job. In hockey, you never know, but usually coaches get gassed far before his best finish is sixth place. That And year after year, his teams cannot score to save their lives, even when they had Eric Stahl. And I think what you're seeing now with him here is that the guy is a 40-goal scorer in the past. He's a Stanley Cup champion. He's a former number one overall pick. This is the type of production that should have been happening, and I think it got sucked out of him playing with a terrible team, with a yep. with a totally lost head coach who seems to be far over his head at the NHL level. And with Bruce Boudreaux, someone who's gotten offensive success out of all sorts of stars throughout his career, he's doing it again with Saul. And I can't get enough of him playing with Granlund and Zucker. I just think it's perfect. And that change to put him there as opposed to Koivu, who had kind of maybe slid back a little bit from last year with Koivu, I think, um, to, to put him in there in that same role and just let the other two carry the puck and then him finish, it's just brilliant. It's just a brilliant move, and I just can't say enough about how watching Boudreaux work throughout a season and the adjustments that he makes and the situations he puts players in. I feel like we mention in every podcast, but this might be the ultimate example is Granlin to wing and Stahl not having to carry the puck a whole ton, but just use his amazing shot and great hands to score. It's just been fantastic to watch. Yeah, and, and you know, towards Bruce, I, I'd say this. This team could, could have gone sideways a long time ago. This could have become a long year, and and there could have been a lot of frustration here. And there were times where you said to yourself, this team's in big trouble. Boudreaux has done a fantastic job at – at not only putting the right combinations 
together, but he's also done a fantastic job, I, I think, of pushing the, the right buttons because I do think the chemistry with his team is sort of odd at times. Um, but you know what? He's gone from if Coyle's not playing well, then somebody else is. And there are there are guys on this team that do drive you crazy and that you would like to see more from. But Boudreaux has pushed the right buttons, and he has more than earned his salary. Uh, you know, and I, I'm curious to see now when they do get in the post season how they do. But as far as the regular season goes, in guiding this team into what looks like it's going to be a third place uh, finish in the Central Division, Boudreaux has done an outstanding job. He's done a great job. Uh, playoff wise, the only thing I'll say is this: they need Spurgeon back badly. The, the power play, which I think scored two goals against Dallas on Thursday, mm-hmm. had really dipped in recent games. In fact, I've got the stat here very quickly for you. Uh, they were two or three against Dallas on Thursday night. Uh, they were the nine games previous to that, one for 26. Spurgeon is missed. I think to be completely successful in the playoffs, Spurgeon is ne- needed back. Oh, but, yes. Boudreaux de- but Boudreaux deserves a boatload of credit for the job that he has done. And I actually think if, if you sit down and think about this, I'm not saying that he should win the award, but he deserves some votes for the Adams Award. Uh, based on what this team has done, based on where this team has been at different times. I am a big fan, and I think that he has done a great job. Uh, I agree. I think Gerard Gallant will win that going away for Vegas. Oh, it's not going to be close. For Vegas, right. yep, but he deserves to be in that conversation. Let me just correct myself quick. Stahl was number two overall, but there was a goalie who was drafted first in uh, – 2003 so just just making sure i got that right that he was the, the flower first. right he, yes mark andre fleury mark andre fleury you would never see that ever ever again that a goalie would go number one overall but uh the the top skater drafted in uh in 2003 just to correct that um, hell of a player 40 goals heck of a year last thing judd real quick yep. um things are looking more and more like a matchup with winnipeg but speaking of gerard gallant in vegas I looked into the numbers, and across the board, I think Winnipeg is a better team and the team you don't want to face. And here's the key point. The Wild find great ways to get in transition and create close shots and scoring chances. The team that allows the fewest high-danger chances in the NHL is the Winnipeg Jets. Not a great matchup for the Wild, if that is how it goes. The guy who they're going to need, and, and he's he's played two games so far, it's going to take a while, but the guy who I think is going to be very important playing against a huge team like the Jets with a guy like Dustin Bufflin is Jordan Greenway. He's six foot six. You need guys who can go to the, the net. The other thing that you're going to have to do is you're going to have to, to light a fire under Charlie Coyle. And guys like Coyle, Greenway I think is fine with, with this. Coyle I have no clue, but he's going to have to be fine with, with this. They're going to have to accept the fact that if the Wild is going to have any chance to beat the Jets, those guys are going to have to get beaten up badly and beat the Jets up badly. And if they will do that, I think you give yourself a fighting chance. But if you take the initial shot and it gets stopped, and guess what? The cre- or the, the slot is empty, you're going to be in huge trouble. I mean, this is going to be, I think, I think the 2017-18 Jets are a better ver- version of the 2016-17 Blues, Matthew. Mm-hmm. And I think they're going to do the same thing, which is they're going to allow you to get your shots. But what they're not going to allow you to do or what, or what they're going to try and stop you from doing is getting to the rebounds. And now the question becomes, can your guys get to the front of, of the net? Greenway, I think, could be a difference maker in that regard. But if the Wild, you know, if the Wild basically throws up their hands and gives up, they're in big trouble. So 
All right. All right, Judd, more hockey talk to come as we enter the playoffs. Appreciate all of you listening to Matt and Judd's Hockey Adventure.